Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we're your co-hosts. And today I'm talking about nymphs in general. And then one very specific nymph named Calypso. Oh, hey, girl. Uh, Nymphomania. So I'm like talking about a plant that is not super familiar to me because it doesn't enjoy warm winters. Uh, But it could also potentially, it's another candidate for the identity of the plant known as moly in the Odyssey, Snowdrop. Very British. I know they're not native to Britain, which we'll talk about, but Snowdrops to me feel very British. Okay, okay, I'm loving. I'm love I'm loving two connections to the Odyssey for this episode. Uh yeah, because this is our um whoops, we did it again. Hi, <laughs> even when we don't mean to be connected, things are. It's y'all, it's almost like two magical, intuitive people running a podcast. It's it's really incredible. <laughs> but before we get into topics, Shannon, when did you feel the magic this week? Oh my god. Okay, guys. I started my new job this week. Monday was my first day. I'm working at a school, so I have to be up at the ass crack of dawn because my hours are like earlier in the day. But twice this week, I've managed to get my ass out the door for a run at five o'clock in the morning. But the best part about that is as I'm finishing my run, the sun is coming up. And there is something that's just like so lovely about being outside unobserved during sunrise that has really been like uh setting my day off on like a beautiful foot even though I'm exhausted now but I also just on a very like less you know I don't know I guess a a less heady place I also brought like a chunk of pyrite into the office because I'm still fundraising so you know extremes whatever yeah we're, we're doing we're doing practical magic and we're talking about the magic of liminal spaces yeah and mine actually so this morning for no reason at all my body woke me up at 8 a.m which is early for me i am a bartender by trade slash sometimes a server um and that typically means that i wake up at like noon almost yeah. every day those um, are your hours so I woke up at eight and I was like, okay, well, I'm kind of rested. I didn't stay up like as late as I usually do last night. So I literally was like up. It was still cool. There was still a little bit of like dew or leftover rain or whatever on the grass. And like, I was like, wow. And you could hear the birds singing. So um, we're loving mornings this Virgo season. I mean, how appropriate, honestly. Like, it feels right. Like, you know what I did? I, and this, I feel like, is especially Virgo season-y. Was I got, I went to the store and I got my little coffee. And I had enough of it to, like, do the stuff that I wanted to do today. And then I had the rest of it as my treat for finishing my, my little tasks. Aw, yeah. You know, there's nothing better than giving yourself a little gift for doing the things on your to-do list. Oh, yes. Treat yourself, as they say. (laughs) But we have to talk about nymphs. I was actually really excited to do the research for this episode because I did not know. And there are some that are just not on the list. 
Um, because I realized, like, looking at the pages and pages of all the different named nymphs, that there are some very specific and niche ones out there. So I kind of wanted to do more, like, categories, um, and talk about, like, a few that I just thought were cool. So we're not covering every single nymph, because we would literally have to talk about, like, every mountain and rock and stream <laughs> and... Y'all, we God. do not have that kind of time. Um... But all of that to say, I thought it would be kind of fun to talk about at the top of this section, though. And I'm so sorry for catching you unawares with the question, Shannon, but I will ask it and then answer it so you have some time to think about your answer. So if you were a nymph, what do you think you would be the nymph of? And my answer to that question is I think I would be like the nymph of somewhere or something like beautiful and kind of sad. So I'm thinking like maybe a willow tree um, or like, you know, when there's like a creek and all of the rocks in the bottom are very dark and it's like a goth creek. Yeah. I feel like that would be me. I am, and maybe this is just like my like gut reaction to this, uh, but I love the idea of being like a fire nymph. I feel mm -hmm. like in my bones, like I want to be, I feel like I would be like the nymph of like a volcano because, and I think maybe it is just all that earth and fire in my chart, but I'm just like lava. I want to be a lava nymph specifically. There, there are nymphs that are like mountain nymphs. And I think for sure a volcano is a kind of mountain. Yeah, so I would be a volcano nymph. So, excellent answer. Um, but I do feel like any discussion of nymphs on Wands and Fronds has to mention one thing right off the bat. And it's just one of those things, what I love doing this show, all these little synchronicities, but please add to the list of reasons that Wands and Fronds is an Artemisian cult was that Artemis was a huge proponent of nymphs and when she like went off to become a huntress wizard and like take over the domain of being the goddess of the hunt she literally went and lived in the woods with literally dozens of nymphs of various kind kinds i believe it was 40 tree nymphs and like 20 river nymphs um or something like that but it's a lot of nymphs and i think um we did touch upon this in the Callisto Ursa Major segment, so... Yeah, I, I think that we can all assume there were a lot of orgies. Um, they were virgins. Right. So, that's... Right. That that's, like, the whole vibe. They're just really good lady friends who all hang out in the forest and, like, brush each other's hair in meadows when they're, like, and and bathe naked but no homo mm -hmm. no homo <laughs> about yeah. six about 60 nymphs chilling in a hot tub five feet apart all of them because they're not gay yeah you know that's like the moral of greek mythology is no homo no homo <laughs> absolutely not um all of which to say is i've always thought nymphs and nature spirits were bb cool and I've always kind of hated the thing in, like, fantasy books like Narnia and others where, like, the nymphs and spirits are always, like, 
mystical background characters, you know, like a little Mrs. Dash, so you know that the world is mystical and magical. And it's like, okay, it's a cheap way out, first of all. But also, I mean, think about if the world was populated with all of these cool magical beings, like, it would be really cool to get, like, a nymph for, like, a nature spirit main character moment. Well, yeah, because it's like, how many <clears throat> variations on fucking chimeras do we have to have taking the lead in our fantasy creatures? Right. Uh, but also, yeah, the more I find out about Artemis, the more I'm ready to just call it and say, I'm sold. Like, but back to the matter at hand nymphs and not the kind that are baby insects because that was fun on google <laughs> um, oh i bet so what i thought might be kind of fun here would be to do a kind of nymph bestiary um or maybe you know like a catalog of the different kinds of nymphs that are out there and i think it's best to start out with broad strokes and introduce a couple of the larger categories of nymphs so naiads is i think a great place to start these are the freshwater nymphs and the name naiad means something like flowing one you know they flow like water we get it okay can i can i just say that i have always and i don't know where this comes from but my assumption in nymph lore has always been that the water nymphs are the hot girls i think so i think so i mean i, I would imagine they wear like a lot of like silky fabrics yeah they just have like it girl energy and like and reason. like long flowing hair I, yeah. I see it i see it they they really are it girls they're the ones that are all over the place so they could be the spirits of rivers uh oh my god i'm gonna i'm gonna start here so they could be the spirits of rivers springs lakes fountains waterfalls on and on, et cetera, et cetera. So there are like subcategories under the general of naiads. So we have the Eleonome or the nymphs of marshes, which I think big bog witch energy for the Eleonome. Um, I love a bog witch moment. I, I think like a spooky bog witch that smells like peat moss. Um, that, yeah. Like that's kind of like what I would imagine for like my crone phase. Okay, so I'm into it. Um, and then we have the Crenier who oversee fountains, which these often had devoted local followings. So the offerings to which becomes the tradition of throwing a coin into a fountain for good luck. And I really have to stop here because I was obsessed with this concept as a child. And I do want to know if anyone else out there was obsessed with throwing coins into fountains and wells as a child. Okay, but on the other side of that, I need to know if there was anyone else whose, like, deepest wish was to fucking scoop that shit out. Because that was mine. Oh, I mean, they're two sides of the same coin. Pun definitely intended. Because <laughs> I was, like, always trying to get more money to throw in. Because I was like, I want all of the wishes. Yeah, you're like, okay, so more money, more wishes? More money, more wishes. A wish for each penny. Like, can you make change for me, please? Yeah, it's like, okay, why are we going for a dime when we could get 10 wishes instead of one? 10, you know, and it's like, I think you kind of scale back what the wish is based on the, you know, denomination of currency. 
little wishes. Yeah, and also, like, historically, little wishes are less likely to ruin your life. So mm -hmm. go for all the little wishes instead of the one big one. Yeah, exactly. So then we have, moving on, because there's so many nymphs. There's so many nymphs to cover. We cannot stop, not even once, not anywhere. But we have um, the Limnides, who embody the spirits of lakes. And no offense to the Limnides, but we both come from a lake town. I wouldn't be keen to run into a lake nymph. I feel like a lake nymph like, lives in a trailer park under the lake and like somehow smokes a cigarette underwater. Yeah, like I feel like they're haggard. Like they're, they're the yeah. ones who have like long claws on their very webbed fins and like mm -hmm. their teeth are not right. Like their teeth are no. really sharp and creepy. Like, yeah. Yeah, they're like, they're kind of like Kelpies or- I'm Oh my like... God, Kelpies. <laughs> so I, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the idea of a lake nymph. Um, but then we have the Potomides, the spirits of rivers. So these are very popular group with pages and pages and pages of the listed individual nymphs. And often these nymphs intermarry with gods or higher ranking humans. And there's considerable evidence that lots of Potomides were worshipped in local cults. Really makes sense when you think that most ancient Greeks essentially worshipped nature and having fresh flowing water is kind of a big deal to be grateful for. But what's also cool about the um, Potomides is that they often appear in family trees. So like river nymphs are often like listed as being married to some kingly ancestor. And then you kind of claim like divine heritage this way. And they're, I mean, I think it's so interesting that these like genealogies are listing like river spirits as just like ladies that their grandpa married. Okay, but like, can I just say, it's a win-win because either A, people used to just fucking marry river spirits, dope, or B, you're related to a woman who was literally just like called a river nymph. Like, can you imagine yeah. like what hot great grandma energy there is there? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You come uh, from a line of babeliest babes, babe. <laughs> right. So then we have the Pegie, the Nymphs of Springs. So these ladies are giving me like hidden oasis vibes. There's something like weirdly romantic about a bubbling spring, like can't quite put your finger on it. There's mystique there. I think this is an elite kind of nymph. It's like, are you bubbling brook spring biased because of your little fairy? Your little Maybe. I love I love a bubbling spring. I think it is one of the most exciting things in the world. I love it. I maybe, maybe that's your jam. Maybe that is my jam. Um but okay. So we love that. We love the nymph of the bubbling spring. And we're moving on to another broader category of nymphs, the dryads or the tree nymphs. And actually, the dry part of the name, dryad, originally refers to oak trees, but dryad does become this colloquial term for all of the tree nymphs. 
Um, and so something unique to this category of nymphs is that they aren't always just the spirits of the trees, but also the landscapes around the trees. Um, but let's get into the types. So first off, we have the, the Meliae, who were the nymphs of ash trees, but also had a pretty important job, which was marrying human men before women existed, which according to the myth would mean that all the subsequent generations of humans would be like half nymph genetically. And can I just say, I'm so sorry, Melier, whoever put that fucking duty on you, I apologize. Well, and um, ash trees have been shitting on mankind for the rest of forever. Right. They got their due. You ever park your car under an ash tree? Oh, yeah, and it just jizzes all over. They're getting their revenge. Um, <laughs> but maybe we are all half ash nymph without even realizing it. Um, and then we have, okay, we're moving on. We have the Oreades. I am butchering these and I did try to practice them before we did this, but moving on. The Oreades were the nymphs of the mountain conifers. And as such, were also seen as the nymphs of the mountains themselves. So perhaps Shannon, you are an Oreades type nymph. Um, that just so happens to be from a volcano. Down. Down. So, chill in there, chill in there. Um, but they were related to satyrs. So the Oreades were chilling with Pan as well as the satyrs, which were like the male version of the like piney forest nymph. Oh my god, I feel like Pan would be soups down to come chill with me as a volcano nymph. Yeah, so I, I'm just saying, like, I think that all works out. You're well on your way. Party. Um, it's a party. Um, but then we have the homodryads, which are oak and poplar spirits. And these are usually specific and sacred trees, either in the crook of a river, which we love. We love an oak tree in the crook of a river. Like, that's old school. Like, that's where you go to do witchcraft and shit. Your sacred grove, et cetera, et cetera. Nice and readily built there for you. Um, and a lot of these nymphs that I'm talking about can actually be these spiritual entities that can exist without the thing that they embody actually existing anymore. So it's kind of like Haku from Spirited Away. Like, they've concreted over the river and built apartments, but the spirit of the river is still out there in the spirit world. With a homodryad, they straight up will die if their tree or their sacred grove is destroyed or disturbed too much. So. Wow. You what? You don't, that's bad juju. That's like seven years of bad luck. You do not want that. But probably one of the most revered kinds of wood nymph ultimately also has to be one of the most fragile. Balance in all things, right? Yeah, those are the rules, man. But next up is a personal favorite, the Meliades. These were the nymphs of fruit trees, and they were seen as the guardians of shepherds and grazing livestock, which is also kind of like big Artemis energy, like sort of the edges of civilization. And fruit trees, that's kind of gay. Fruity, if you will. It's a little fruity. And then... <laughs> 
you know, they've got all these gorgeous flowers in the spring. They make their own perfume. Is there anything gayer than, like, a cherry blossom? No. Absolutely not. You might as, I mean, they might as well just be goblin dicks. Exactly! Uh, we, you know we've said that a billion times, (laughs) and listeners, (laughs) listeners, we're just delivering the truth to y'all today. (laughs) So lastly, in the tree nymph, I could, I would be remiss if I left this out, were the Daphne, who are the nymphs of laurel trees. And everyone knows, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times, I love laurels. Okay, but up for a, another broader category, sky nymphs, all right? And I feel like this is a cool category of nymphs. So first up, we have the ore. The nymphs of the breezes. Oh my god! So you've been fucking with the ore. Absolutely. Like, all of your magical moments for months, it seemed like, were about breezes. I love breezes. I feel like the ore would be so 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 chill. I feel like these would be the girlies out on like the quad, like having a little smoke circle out in the sun enjoying the breeze okay they're such fucking libras they really are (laughs) okay and then we have in a similar vein to that chillness wise the hesperides the sunset nymphs like that's dope that's pretty dope we also have the asteriades the star nymphs so there's a lot, and several are Daughters of Atlas, which is a little spoiler for my second topic. And I, I did just want to pop in here because when I saw Asteroides, it made me think of Paul Atreides from oh. Dune. And oh. I'm like, they are from another planet. Uh. Is that where he got Atreides? Is from? Is it from Asteroides? Because it's like so close, spelling-wise. It's really close quite close it's like one letter away anyway sorry i saw Um, that i was like what dune dune um but since we do not have all day to do this specific topic i wanted to talk about two miscellaneous nymph types that i found particularly fun and wanted to put on at the end here um so the lampadies are the torch bearers for the underworld for hades and hecate And I would hold a torch for Hecate. I love Lampadies. I feel like they're, um, they're always such, like, cool little creatures when they show up in stories. They do seem very cool. But also, I feel like being, like, a torchbearer of the underworld, like, that sounds like a cool secret organization. Yeah. And also, so they did have, which kind of made me go off on this weird side tangent, they did have an order of sort of like clergy. It was like, um, it was passed down familially, but it was under the Hierophant and they would have all these like leaders of these certain families that would hold the torches for nighttime rituals. And it was a very important position and it might have been a secret organization a la, you know, sort of like Freemasonry but they were literally called the Torchbearers, and it was, like, in Athens. Love, love, love. So we, we'll we save that 
all of that for some other time, but I thought it was very, very cool. Um, and lastly, the Maenads, who were the nymphs that had orgies with Bacchus in the forest when that, you know, it's like, obviously they hung out with Bacchus all the time, but when he had an orgy, they were like the people that were already doing the orgy. So like if you wandered up to a Bacchanalia, they're the nymphs that are just already fucking in the woods. And they're the, they're the, they're the Maenads. Um, another nymph job I would gladly take if I had the opportunity. Yeah, I was like, where do I fill out my job application? Um, because really, I'm really though. tired of getting up at 5 a.m. Um, <laughs> but y'all, I'm excited to talk about Snowdrop. So Snowdrop or Galanthus Nivalis, which is like pretty dope Latin name. Uh, mm. There are these really beautiful flowers. So they're the first bulbs to bloom in the springtime, hence the name Snowdrop. And for a long time, people kind of thought the way that they did that was by generating their own heat in the bulb, which would melt the snow so they could come up. But there's some debate back and forth about whether it's that or the sun. But I like to think that they're heating up the snow themselves. And they are native to Europe and the Middle East. But again, they're particularly popular in the UK. Like you can go on snowdrop, like snowdrop tours. The UK loves bulbs. That's what we know. We know this to be true. So if you don't know what a snowdrop looks like, they have two linear leaves and like a single small white drooping flower. It's bell-shaped and it has six petal-like tepals and two like whorls or circles. Um, they almost look, they, they kind of look like hoods when they droop down. I, don't they look kind of like bluebells? A little, yeah, a little for sure. Um, and the small, the smaller like inner petals on them have like green markings too. So the flowers are white and then they have these like little green markings on them. So you get like this pretty little pop, but all of the species, they grow from bulbs. So each bulb is going to produce like two to three narrow green leaves and then a single flower scape. So if you want them in your garden, plant dormant bulbs in the fall and then you're going to put like a mulch of compost on it just to help like nourish the bulbs because the bulbs are basically creating like energy stores for when they pop up later in the year. Um, you can also plant them. They call it planting in the green. And you can do that like in the spring after flowering if that's more your speed. But I do have to point out it's recommended to wear gloves when you're planting them because some people get like rashy skin irritation from the bulbs. They do well, like if you're looking for a spot, they do well under like late leafing deciduous trees. So what you're wanting to find is a place where like sunlight can get to the snowdrops leaves while they're growing in super early spring. Like you don't wanna plant them near evergreens because there's gonna be plenty of foliage and you need somewhere for sunlight to seep through. But because they come up so early, like they can be a good choice to plant around your deciduous trees so you're not like because you can't necessarily plant a lot of other stuff there because they're going to be shaded out so you're going to plant bulbs like two to three inches deep around three inches apart with uh, the point side up and once they're in the ground you're going to want to want to water it well to like help settle the soil and then as soon as uh as soon as you start seeing like the foliage appear 
after that, like every seven to 10 days, you're going to want to feed them with like a potassium rich fertilizer. And you just keep that up until the foliage yellows and wilts. You are going to want to make sure that your soil stays moist throughout the growing season. But like, obviously these aren't swamp plants. And if they're coming up through snow, there's water there. So just like, use your best judgment. Um, the great news for you guys is that snowdrop bulbs multiply and naturalize like really easily if they're left undisturbed. But if you want to like keep some order in your garden, you can just dig them up and divide them uh, like after the foliage dies back in mid to late spring, all the way up to early autumn, you can dig them up, divide them and replant them. But the galanthus bulbs tend to actually dry out pretty quickly if they're out of the ground. So you're going to want to just like replant them. And then by mid-autumn, they'll have started growing again and shouldn't be disturbed until after blooming. So like that's the general planting and care. They're pretty straightforward. It's again, I kind of mentioned this at the top. They're really good for those of you that have cold to moderate winters. But assholes like me in Los Angeles where winter means 60 degree weather these plants are not impressed. <laughs> so please, if you have snow, plant these because I, I can't have them and I wanna see them. But I'm mostly excited to talk about these because it's another plant that could be moly, which is described in Homer's Odyssey. So like as a recap, Circe, our poison bay, gives Odysseus's men, quote unquote, food mixed with evil drugs, which turns them all into literal pigs, which I mean, again, quite a great like snap moment for Cersei. Uh, but this happens and then enter Hermes. And Hermes hands over a plant to Odysseus that's supposed to help protect him from Cersei's magic. And it's not named, but they describe it and it's referred to as moly. So this is why like, there's kind of this fun, weird, like botanical, espionage like uh, all sorts of weird like research and could this be it could this be it it's like a fun like secret espionage is not the right word y'all I've been up since five um so there's a lot of plants like there's a few plants that people think could be moldy but the plant was described as black at the root with a flower white as milk um so far so good with snowdrop but in 1983 uh andreas platakis and roger devoisen um presented like a really cool convincing argument that snowdrop was like the actual identity of moly and so shit's about to get nerdy y'all but the chemical action of snowdrop is what is called as anticholinesterase anticholinesterase i think that's right no judgment from y'all. Okay. But again, this is about to get really like nerdy. So an anticholinesterase is an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor. So essentially what this plant does is the chemicals in it inhibit the breakdown of acetylcholine, which increases the levels of acetylcholine and extends the duration of the interaction. So the tropane alkaloids block acetylcholine at the, at the nerve receptors due to their anticholinergic effects. So an anticholinesterase would reverse the central actions of a tropane alkaloid. One of the chemicals in the bulb of the snowdrop, galantamine, is an example of an anticholinesterase. And the effects of moly that Homer describes 
really like point to this being the type of chemical action that's taking place. And this is super, super dope because if it is indeed the case that Snowdrop is moly, this would actually be one of the very first examples of an anticholinesterase drug being used to prevent or reverse poisoning with tropane alkaloids, which is like super cool. It's it's a poison preventative, maybe a reversal, but like tropane alkaloids are really cool. And there's a lot of like debate around this. Anyway, so it's like, it's super nerdy, but I hope you guys enjoyed that little like Bill Nye the Science Guy moment as much as I did. Um, so yeah, nerdy poison preventative, also a sign of hope for the spring. So like what other magic might you do with Snowdrop? Um, it's a plant that's commonly associated with Saturn, but I didn't find a lot of other correlations. And that's probably because there are actually a fuck ton of old superstitions about Snowdrops being like unlucky. That, that comes up a lot. And people speculate that it's because they were probably early on like planted by monks near churches and in graveyards. So there might be that like association with uh, with death. So I, I mean, again, I don't necessarily get that vibe, but if you have a cultural tradition that says steer clear, by all means, please do. But I had a few thoughts for ways you could incorporate them into your magic. Um, so of course, they're like beautiful little symbols of hope. I love the idea of using them on an Imbolc altar, like Imbolc, February 1. It's around the time when snowdrops often start coming up. How perfect is that? Imbolc's all about like the promise of the return of spring. Uh, are you a person who works with Greek deities? Do you want to honor Circe? Because all men are pigs and it should be disclosed. <laughs> Perhaps you offer her some snowdrop. Uh, some religions and practices also say that like the appearance of snowdrops can indicate the ending of sorrow and suffering over the loss of a loved one. So if you're doing work related to like grief or acceptance, you know, you can you can do some cut snowdrops and bring them in. I think these are also a great one to maybe like dry in a book and have like some beautiful like dried white flowers. I think are really gorgeous because they get this kind of like cream, almost like translucent oh, like, yeah. vibe to them. So, you know, those just some ideas. I mean, again, don't go eating it to reverse poisoning on yourself because um, call poison control. I did get CPR and uh, first aid certified today. So as an expert, I'm going to tell you uh, if you get you are poisoned. An expert call poison control. Um, but my my sources today were gardendesign.com, um, goodwitchesmagicalflowersandherbs.blogspot.com, shout out to you, lady, uh, Wikipedia, The Poison Path Herbal, and ecoenchantments.co.uk. That was lovely. And I do love like a dried flower in a book moment. Oh my God. I have so many dried flowers that I need to you figure out what to do with me. them. You showed me. You showed me. You should put them in a frame. Have you seen? Have you seen like uh, my my little shadow box that I have um, currently in my bathroom? But yeah, it, it's moved around over the years. Um, yeah, it's like I take a couple of flowers out of every bouquet that I really like and um, just press press the fresh ones onto the front. So it's multiple layers, um, and it's got 
you know, ones that I had out for the holidays a couple times and just like different ones. And actually, I remember I went through because I had a lot of the first bouquet that an ex uh, had given to me kind of towards the back. And um, I, I picked all of the ones that I for sure knew were from that bouquet out and burned them. Good. Good. Um, well, but Nick, all of that we, to say. I was going to say, before we get into Calypso, how the fuck could someone get in touch with us? Oh, gosh, we've made it so easy for you. You're welcome. So you know that our podcast is called Wands and Fronds. Um, and so our name on literally everything is Wands and Fronds Pod. For instance, if you wanted to go to Gmail and send us a little email, um, it'd be wandsandfrondspod at gmail.com. Um, if you wanted to go to the Instagram, where we always are, because we are millennials, like, eat shit Gen Z. I, I like watching my little reels, okay? That's where I see most of the TikToks anyway. And we're there, and when I ride the bus, I love to respond to messages on the Once and Fronts Instagram. So, like, shout out to you guys for being active on there. Um, and Patreon, patreon.com slash wantonfronspod. And we have an incredible offer for you. You can see our beautiful smiling faces while you listen. Um, it's the favorite TV show that you didn't know that you're missing out on every week. And it's uh, it could be yours for $5 a month at the lowest yeah. end. And we're going to get back on our bonus episodes this month. I know we had like a couple of months off over the summer with some of that extra content, but... We're getting back on that. We did a, my favorite bonus episode is we did a, like an entire episode about Miss Cleo. Y'all call me now. Call me now, child. We and did that. <laughs> I, you know, I will say even as a spoiler, I have a guest lined up that wants to talk about the Mothman. Uh, he's just trying to warn you about the bridge. Stop being so rude to him, you speciesist <laughs> motherfuckers. But yes, I cannot wait for that. I'm so stoked. Um, anyone who doesn't already know this about me, please understand how fucking obsessed I am with cryptids. It's it's, it. it's pretty real. But okay, like, review, subscribe. Um, if you're going to leave a review, we did come up with a very fun template for you to use, which is this podcast is good, five stars. Um, or you could say Nick and Shannon make a very good podcast. And I think that would just do some really good work to getting us on some uh some some searches, some search it's been results. a minute since we uh charted, and like again, shout out Romania. Yeah, shout out Romania we... for being the last place we charted. Who else? Who's gonna be next, y'all? Okay, I'd, get would, on the people would, in your country. I would like to see us chart in Greece because we do a lot of Greek content. Um, and I would love to hear from a Greek person how bad my Greek is. Um, and I'm actually going to Greece next year, so. Woo um but, but yes. speaking of greece <laughs> but speaking of greece actually we're actually uh may, probably maybe not talking about greece but we are talking about calypso so we could not do the nymph episode without talking about one of the most famous nymphs there is because we already talked about one of the other famous nymphs with a similar name callisto <laughs> callista flopheart just kidding so um and this one, I think, does illustrate uh, an interesting point about nymphs, was that we talked about all the different kinds of nymphs there are for, like, trees and mountains and blah, 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 blah sunsets. I mean, can you imagine the luck of, uh, you know, everyone else is like, 
oh, you have to bear a torch. Ooh, you live in a tree. Oh, you just are are a gorgeous sunset. Yeah, sit, I mean, sit, sit back with a daiquiri and enjoy that. Some girls get all the luck. Some girls get all the luck, but a lot of the individuals that are categorized as nymphs in Greek mythology are the children of gods. So like lady demigods even would be an, uh, a, a conveniently and mostly inclusive way to think about this, okay? So we have a little story about a very famous nymph called Calypso, who was the, that kind of nymph. And um, her dad was a little guy called Atlas. And, you know, you might remember him as being the guy who has to hold the world on his back forever. NBD. Which is like a pretty important job, but it's also a punishment because he took the wrong side when the Olympian gods were overthrowing the Titans. Yeah, it's like, does does Atlas or Sisyphus have it worse? Truly. Like, I'm going to say maybe Atlas, honestly. I think Sisyphean gets, like, the Sisyphean task is, of course... I think the thing we all think of when it's like, oh, this is awful and horrible and I hate it. But I'm like, I would much rather at least be actively doing something. Right. You just stand in there with the literal weight of the world on your back. Like, not a good deal. No, but can't. Atlas has a daughter called Calypso. And she's kind of included in this, this punishment. So she has to live on an island that they call the Navel of the Sea. And when I say navel, I mean like a belly button for <laughs> everyone who did not put that together um but yes so and this is from one of the greatest works of literature ever the odyssey which is public domain as fuck with some additional flavor and interpretation by my gay ass so this should be like a fun little story time so calypso was literally minding her business on her island right the the navel of the world which actually one little side note i will put here is that i read some stuff from like the first through third centuries where they're like interpreting the odyssey and then like interpreting the earlier versions of interpreting the odyssey and one person said that it was very fanciful that someone had initially said that the navel of the sea could be what was left over from atlantis um which i just think is such a f i love myths about atlantis and that would put it out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Okay, but also, like, can we talk about how your belly button is what's left over from your connection to your mother? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, the layers. There's there's a lot of layers. It's like, okay, onion, here we go. Let's get blooming. But, so she's out there. She's on her island. Odysseus has had his army completely slayed by monsters in Italy and Sicily and he is adrift at sea for nine days which I looked into it and some I mean and this is like a terrible situation like obviously give to aid and rescue and relief operations because the um the refugee crisis in the Middle East going into Europe is an absolute human rights atrocity but it is happening where the Odyssey took place and apparently people on a raft or flotation device of some kind can cross the Mediterranean in a couple of days if they catch the right current. 
So all of wow. which just all of which just say being adrift at sea for nine days is a long that, time. That's that's like twice. Get there and yeah. back. Get there and back. Um, and again, it really does depend on the currents. Not everywhere is like that, but you, you'd wash up somewhere. Nine days is a long time. There's a lot yeah. of islands and shit out in the Mediterranean and the Ionian and the Aegean and oh my God, all of those seas that just look like one sea from space. So oh I God. really. Nick is just showing off all of his sea knowledge. I just here. really, I just really think like that's the same water. Okay. Like you just drew, you just drew arbitrary lines or you were like this side of the island is the Aegean Sea. This side of the island is the Ionian Sea. Um, the, it's the Mediterranean Sea. Like, please stop. Um, we have Google Maps now, okay? All of which to say, it might be out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It might not be. Odysseus washes up on the shore of Calypso's Island. She's minding her own business. She did not make this happen. But the great hero and international hottie, Odysseus, has washed up on her island where she lives alone, okay? And this is where I think it's kind of, it kind of gets a bit of uh, the flavor of old Greg. And so I could just imagine her being like, I like you, I want to hurt you. <laughs> um, oh my and God. And or maybe being a little socially awkward, but, and this is one of those things that comes from like the later interpretations. He was on the island for seven years. That part of the story remains in each sort of reincarnation. But the thing is, is in the original Odyssey, he's just like missing his wife, Penelope, the whole time. And he's just like, I want to go home, blah, 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 blah. But really, he does end up getting seduced by Calypso because she spends the whole time singing and weaving beautiful tapestries and she's like promising him immortality and, and giving him baileys and a shoe giving him baileys and a shoe and in some interpretations they believe that calypso and odysseus are the fathers of these children whose name looks like nautilus for some reason both of them I just really got tired of trying to pronounce Greek words. So we're like putting that off to the side, but they might've had kids together in those seven years. I mean, seven and years is a long ass time. Seven years is a long ass time. And ultimately here's, I mean, but Calypso is painted as a villain in this story. And that's giving me like the Jezebel segment vibes as well, because it's like, what did she really do wrong? Like a hottie, hottie, hottie with a body, 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 washes up on her island. She makes him a cocktail. She's like, look at how good I am at weaving. Also, I could make you immortal. And we could just like live on the island together. And it could be, I don't know, like a good time. We'll go down to Bone Town. <laughs> we'll go on down to Bone Town. Poor, and Odysse poor me. And Odysseus goes to Bone Town, but ultimately he's like, eh, I still might want to leave, you know, but he doesn't, he doesn't. And then, so Athena, who, if we, for those of you who haven't read the Odyssey, Odysseus is like, Athena is his patron goddess. He's from Athens. So why the fuck wouldn't she be? But Athena does intervene in at Mount Olympus on his behalf and 
she's basically like, yeah, Odysseus was supposed to get home seven years ago. Do we have, like, a pulse on this situation? Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, hey, I'm just doing a quick check-in. Can I get a progress update? Yeah, and then Zeus is like, okay, fine. Like, oh, I guess he's, like, on some island with that... You remember that weird lady that we put on the island? And so they send Hermes, the messenger of the gods, and... You know, you would think if they could just, like, send Hermes out to the navel of the world, uh, they might just, like, bring Odysseus back and, like, send him through the back door to Athens. Oh my god, Hermes is never gonna do it the, like, straightforward way, though. Which is why uh, I'm like, fucking Godspeed to any of you witches that work with Hermes. I'm just like, I would be sus. It, it would be incredibly sus. So he goes, he tells Calypso, like, hey, you're gonna have to like let this guy go and she's like fine but i mean he can like build his own boat or whatever like there's some trees on the island and so basically like this part that i'm telling happens a few years in and it takes him the rest of the seven years to like build his own boat and she like deigns to help him sometimes but ultimately she's like i don't want my hot international boyfriend to leave my island where I've lived alone for since you know that whole kerfuffle with the titans and can can I just say if it takes him multiple years to build a boat clearly he's not rushing yeah yeah and then again they're going to bone town all the time they have two kids like can can she can she really be blamed for being like oh And that's kind of her response to Hermes is like, gods do shit like this all the time and then get insanely jealous when they see a lady gaslighting, gatekeeping, and girl bossing. Yeah. But here we are. So I guess he can build his own boat. And I'm st- we're still gonna fuck. That's what she said. That's a direct quote from the Odyssey, by the way. <laughs> but we're still gonna fuck. But we're still gonna fuck. And they... <laughs> so, but ultimately, he builds the boat and he leaves. And she's like heartbroken. And some interpretations say that she killed herself. And all of that to say, Calypso is a cool lady. And, you know, I think she could have offered him freedom for his sweet sweet hand in marriage yeah and like okay let's not pretend that odysseus is some like perfect catch when we all know notoriously bad at traveling he cheated on his (laughs) wife with calypso he has another family and even though he missed his wife he still cheated on her he He missed his wife so hard, he fucked another lady for seven years. For seven years. (laughs) Like, I don't know, man. I don't know that you come back from that one. Um, I mean, but you would think, okay, if it took nine days to float out there, he could probably have built a raft and been back where he was in Sicily in, like, four or five days. Shit, I mean, it's a fucking Greek myth. Bastard could have swum it. He could have just. He could have just worked. He could have just worked out really hard and then swam it like those swimmers do the English Channel. Yeah, yeah. Which, 
you know, there there's so much speculation about what the navel of the sea is. Some people even said Ireland. Yeah, I mean, what? Okay. Where it where is Calypso? But okay, so it's almost the bitter end. Story time's over, kids. It's almost time for bed. You need to brush your teeth. It is, and I've got a tarot scope, and I am just like living, laughing, and loving for this combo because I got. Sagittarius, our beautiful little archer kitty. Pew, pew. Um, <laughs> and for you, I have drawn the Eight of Bones, which is equivalent to the Eight of Wands from my Macabre Tarot deck. And like, does any other card have more Sagittarian energy? Because like one of the things that the Eight of Wands can symbolize is air travel. But mm. <laughs> y'all, this is your fucking like, go, go, go. So the Eights, in the in the eights in the wands uh come after like the sevens right and the sevens is all like trials and tribulations and uh but then by the time eight gets here it's just like green light from the universe fucking go 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 it's a lot of like motion oriented stuff so it's like you're in the middle of the fucking marathon don't sit your ass down, Sagittarius. Keep going, you crazy little centaur babies. Also, if you've been thinking about taking a flight, do it. Wow. That's it. I uh, mean, really, the Eight of Wands is just so much like, yeah, you got this. Go for it. Can I, may I, may I please speak for my Sagittarius moon? Yes, you may. Okay, so I think I spent a whole night when I was on my trip in Mexico starting to plan my friend's trip to Las Vegas that we're doing in January of 2024 and then literally was not back a full day before me and my roommate started preparing some plans to go to Greece and Venice uh, next summer yeah so I'm literally buying plane tickets soon so well this card says <laughs> yeah this is the time to do that don't um, stop I'm not gonna stop I'm never going to stop spending all of my disposable income going to cool places so I can see them in person. Fair. So something for everyone to look forward to, I think. Yeah, but I think that's the bitter end. It's not so bitter. We'll be back next week with, um, I don't remember what the episode is for next week, but hey, you guys, this was episode 95. So our 100th episode is coming up in five weeks. Yeah, so if you have stuff you want to ask us or question, like questions, things you want us to talk about, if you have any like really cool, sweet emails about how much these 100, like these first 99 episodes meant to you, uh, email them. You guys know where to find us. I want to get 100 emails. I don't think we've had a hundred emails since we started this podcast. So that would be a feat, y'all. Let's get a hundred emails for a hundred episodes. We love you. <laughs> love you so much. Okay. What do we say to all the nymphomaniac bitches out there? Oh, to all of you nymphomaniac bitches. Blessed be bitches. Blessed be bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. And we're, and we're still gonna fuck. <laughs> we are still gonna fuck. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye now. Fire everywhere. Fire everywhere. Fire, fire everywhere.